Pray with Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the goodness of the work of Christ. We thank you for the invitation into personal connection with you. We pray this morning that our connection with you would be deepened as we unpack truths from your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I lived in Colorado, I lived in a city called Woodland Park, which is west of Colorado Springs, and you have to go through an area called Ute Pass, Highway 24. You head west up Ute Pass to get to Woodland Park. And there are signs along the way because there are portions of Ute Pass where the roadway is right next to the mountains, and occasionally, you know, rocks would fall off the mountains and crash onto the roadway. So there were warning signs up the part of the way up Ute Pass that said, danger, falling rocks. Now, I was always puzzled by that sign because if the rock, in fact, was going to fall on your car, you really wouldn't know about that ahead of time and there wouldn't be much that you could do about it. But what amused me most about that was when my dad came to visit Woodland Park and he was driving up the pass, I was always afraid he was going to crash not because he was a bad driver necessarily, but because he saw those warning signs and he was forever doing this, wondering if one of those rocks was going to fall on top of his car. There's a water park outside of Denver and there's a group rubber ride, a rubber raft ride. So about eight people can get in these giant rubber rafts and go down this uh, water rafting thing. And there's a sign at the beginning that says, you will get wet. And at the end, I was, it cracked me up the first time I saw this, but at the end, I could see this kid coming out, and he was absolutely drenched and soaked. I mean, the water was just pouring off him. And there was a sign right next to the exit that says, See? We told you. <laughs> Warning signs can be helpful. And some are more useful than others. And the passage that we're going to look at in the Gospel of Mark today is an extremely practical and very relevant warning to all of us Because we have to be aware, you and I, we have to be aware about our effect on other people and the need for us to have this radical distance from, yes, that three-letter word that we hate so much, radical distance from sin. Now, I've mentioned before that this is not a very popular word in our culture, in our day and time, sin. We we tend to mute the rough edges of that word, sin. We, We say mistakes or errors in judgment, or we soften the truth and the reality of this three-letter word that sometimes you and I, maybe not you, well, I know some of you, we run right smack into the middle of departure from God's goodness and will for our lives. And the Bible calls that sin, so there's no other word to use for it. So listen, Jesus talking in the Gospel of Mark Chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. If you're reading along in the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1569. Jesus is speaking. He says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. 
It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Jesus' audience here is captured in verse 42, and he says, anyone. These words are not just about some hypothetical someone somewhere. I've never met someone. I've heard about someone a lot in church life. Someone should, and you can fill in the blank with whatever should be done, someone should do that. I want to meet someone because they're slacking off. There's lots of things they need to do. And this thing here, though, this passage here is not about someone somewhere. It's about anyone. Anyone who finds themselves in these situations of danger. And the situation of danger is underscored in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's still true that each of us has to be alert to the possibility of the dangers that Jesus details in this passage. This is addressed to everyone, to anyone. Us in particular, us generally. So there's a couple of danger zones that Jesus describes in this passage. Danger zone number one is in verses 42 and 50. The focus of Jesus here is, quote, he says, one of these little ones who believes in me. Now, We'll see later on in the Gospel of Mark that there's a very specific Bible word for children. This is not that word. In this passage, this word describes those who are newer in the faith, who have not yet taken steps of maturity in the faith, who are still vulnerable, fragile thinking in their, in their thinking and their understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. This is designation for those who might be coming up in the faith. And Jesus' concern is that those folk can be easily led astray. He said, anyone who causes these folks to sin. The power of influence. The power of example. I don't know if you and I recognize the power that we have by our example that we can set, by the influence that we have. You know, you don't have to be the... uh, the uh, the president of the United States or a senator or a political official to have power and influence. Whether you recognize it or not, you and I, we are like stones cast into the pond and the effects ripple out to all of those who are around us. You and I, we have more power and influence than we realize. And Jesus here says that we need to be careful that our influence affects others in a good way. At the end of this passage, he talks about this whole business about salt and saltiness and losing their saltiness and all that stuff. What is this about? It's about this effect we have. What does salt do, right? It spices up the meal. It adds flavor to it. And in that day and time, salt was a preservative, one of the primary preservatives. So it's, it's, a, it's a way of spicing up, injecting vitality into a relationship, but also preserving that with which God has entrusted us. We do not realize the power of the influence that we have, you and I. 
When I was taking flying lessons, I was uh, preliminarily, initially flying in a little Cessna 152. A Cessna 152 is a two-seat, high-winged airplane. And my pilot training buddy, whose name was Steve, took me one time on a training flight. We flew from um, Cheyenne, Wyoming, to what used to be the Stapleton Airport in Denver, Colorado. It's, no, it's not there anymore. Now they have a new giant airport. But we flew to Stapleton. And we landed, we got there, I landed, managed to land the plane without you know, killing us, which was always a question mark in my pilot instructor's mind. And uh, so I landed the plane, and we were just going to uh, hang out for a little while. There was a little restaurant there, we had some lunch, and then we were going to get back in the plane and go. And so we're leaving to go, and we have to line up on the taxiway behind everybody else who's leaving. And right in front of us was a 747. So you got the picture, right? 747 Cessna 152. You got the picture, right? And a 747, of course, is a jet aircraft, right? So even when it's taxiing at slow speed on a taxiway, when it blasts from those jets, you get this jet wash effect. And so, apparently, the pilot of the 747 was concerned about us and had called the tower on the radio and said, tell those boys to back off. <laughs> to increase our following distance on the taxiway, because when he was going to ramp up his jets, it was going to blow us off. <laughs> Whether you recognize it or not, you have that power to kind of impact and influence and blow people off the path that they're on in their relationship with Christ. We are free in Jesus, yes. We are free in Christ. But it's clear from the scriptures that we are to use our freedom, to exercise our freedom in a way that helps people move forward with Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Right? You and I, we have this responsibility to be aware of the influence and power that we have. Now, neither Jesus nor Paul in that passage absolves anybody of their personal responsibility for, yes, again, that three-letter word that we don't like, sin, but they're issuing this giant warning sign, this caution about our potential to influence other people. Interesting to me that the word that Jesus uses, uh, that's translated into English, causing to sin, is a word in the original language that described a, a piece of wood that held up a trap for an animal. I had a friend in Wyoming uh, whose name was Woody. His actual name was Donnie, but he liked to be called Woody. Uh, and he got permission from the base commander. So Francis E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming is this huge, uh, this huge complex. It hosts uh, the uh, support teams and equipment and personnel for intercontinental ballistic missiles, which are spread all over uh, northeastern Colorado and northeast part of northern um, uh, southwestern Nebraska anyway. But the base was huge and it was kind of this wildlife refuge area in some ways and there was a problem on the base with uh, an ov being overrun by beavers. Beavers. Well my friend Woody was a guy who liked to trap beavers. Now, don't get alarmed. These were live traps to take the beavers away where they could beaver away in a place that was better for them. 
But one day I was out with Woody. He said, I need to check my traps. So I said, all right. So we're out and he's checking his traps and he gets to one of them and he comes back up and he grabs from the back of his uh, Land Rover, he grabs a baseball bat. I said, what are you doing? There's a skunk in one of my traps. I'm thinking to myself, this is not going to end well. And so he goes down this little embankment to the trap, and suddenly I hear, oh, expletive deleted. It seems the skunk took offense at Woody approaching with the baseball bat and sprayed him. Woody, my friend, smelled like a skunk, got in his Land Rover, which then began to smell like a skunk. I was seated next to him. I began to smell like a skunk. To the point where we approached the gate for the base later on, and we were all so skunkified that the dogs who were sniffing for drugs, we ruined one of those German Shepherd's dogs' smelling ability because he stuck his nose in the back and it smelled like a skunk. Took a long time to de-skunkify myself. Jesus is saying in this passage, if we trap one of those little ones in the faith, if we lead them astray, it stinks. So Jesus' warning is, look out in verse 42. He says, it would be better if a millstone was tied around uh, their neck. Now, a millstone was a grinding stone that was used to be uh, moved around by a donkey in a circle, and they would grind out the grain. And the Romans, clever people that they were, They used this as a punishment. They would tie a millstone around somebody's neck and they'd throw them in the sea or in the lake to kill them. Jesus is saying there are consequences for leading children of God astray. And there's another danger zone in this passage. This temptation to sin in verses 43 through 48. Jesus moves from the effect we can have on others to making sure we understand the effect on ourselves. And he issues what we can only call a radical call to discipleship. This cutting off the hands and cutting off the feet and plucking out the eyes, by the way, is not a case for self-mutilation. He is exaggerating for effect. He's engaging in hyperbole. So we will see the tremendous danger that's in front of us and walk away from it. Now, in that day and time, Hebrew thinking was very concrete. And so that's why Jesus does this eye, hand, foot thing, because they identified the limb most involved with the sin. So there was a man convicted in court who contended he shouldn't be responsible, held responsible for the actions of his arm, which reached into somebody's bedroom window and stole a purse. The judge agreed that his arm would be sentenced. And so the man smiled detached his artificial arm and tried to walk out of the courthouse. Because he thought, silly him, that it was just his arm that was responsible. And Jesus says here clearly, no, 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 no. No, be careful. Because what he wants is an attitude coupled with action that renounces sin. I don't know about you, But I know that in my life, I typically overestimate my capacity to deal with temptation. 
just watch me the next time I'm around somebody who's made a really, really good apple pie. I cannot eat just one piece. I have to have two or three or whatever's left in the pie pan because my capacity to resist temptation is lower than I think it is. I suspect I'm not the only person in this room that has that trouble, and it may not be apple pie. And trust me, in and of itself, apple pie is not sinful. But it's a picture, right, of our capacity to be quickly led into places we do not need to go. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you, excuse me, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide also a way out. A way out. It's the way, it's the way is out. The way is not, oh, I'm going to stand here and face that apple pie and see if I can resist it. The way is to step away and to step out. And I don't know what other temptations might come our way, but uh, and, you know, apple pie, again, is not the most significant thing on the planet, but it's a picture of, if you will, of this issue we have with being able to say no to something that tempts us to lead us astray. Why is this so important? It's so important because in verses 43, 45, 47, and 48, Jesus is trying to get us to see the impact the impact of going astray. The personal, the, the, excuse me, the, the destructive power of personal sin. Now, are you having fun now talking about sin? Is this really ramping you up? Are you really excited about it? No, we don't like it at all. And the reason we don't like it at all is because we all know that we, if we were honest with ourselves, if we look God in the eye, we all struggle with this three-letter word. And Jesus says here, there is a reality of punishment for choosing to embrace sin as a life. Jesus uses the word hell. Now you and I, we only hear that word when somebody's swearing. But when Jesus uses that word, he's talking about a place of separation from God. A real place of separation from God. He uses the word uh, hell here as translation of a word Gehenna. So here's the thing. In ancient Jerusalem, outside of the city walls in ancient Jerusalem, there's a little valley. And it was, it was a valley called the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. And then in Hebrew, it was Gehenna. But in Aramaic, it becomes Gehenna. And when English translators use this, look at this word, they translate it hell, because that's the picture Jesus is trying to picture. Why? Because this valley outside of Jerusalem had become the garbage dump where they took all their stuff and it was constantly smoldering and burning. Even before that, this was the place where ancient, ancient people had worshipped a god called Moloch and made child sacrifices to this god. You know how they did that? They put the little child in a clay jar and shut the top of it and threw it in a fire. Gehenna, 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 hell. This was the picture they had in mind when Jesus says this word. This place of ultimate separation from the person and power of God. And we, we struggle with that because we don't have kind of a word picture that helps us think about that. 
But maybe, just maybe, if we flashed back to those pictures we all saw on TV of that fire that raged through Paradise, California. Do you remember those pictures? Just maybe, just maybe, we can get a glimpse of the kind of, uh, kind of result that Jesus is talking about here. The reality of separation from God. The reality of rejecting his plan for our lives which is in contrast to the promise of life that Jesus gives in this passage. Life is synonymous with the kingdom of God. It's synonymous with a personal connection with Jesus. It's 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 synonymous with us understanding our need for him and embracing him in faith. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Fullness of life. Which we tend to think, as I do, I tend to think of it in terms of more apple pie. Or just more stuff. The accumulation of things. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about an increasing depth of richness in our relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. If our relationship with Christ looks the same today as it did 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, or 50 years ago, there's something wrong. Because we're supposed to be growing in our understanding of who he is. He's supposed to be occupying more of the territory of our spirit. We are supposed to look more like him today than we did yesterday. Because you and I, we are one step closer every day to this kind of ultimate encounter with God. One step closer. Pastor Laura was kind enough to share with you that I'm having a birthday tomorrow. We will speak about that later. (laughs) But I'm one step closer. You're, You're one step closer today than you were yesterday. To looking God in the eye. And hearing him say, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or hearing him say, huh, you? Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So we don't want to give off mixed signals to people. We have to be aware of our influence. We don't want to give mixed warnings. We want to be able to say, I'm embracing Jesus, and yeah, I'm doing it imperfectly. One step forward, two steps back. One step forward, 22 steps back. We're all doing it imperfectly. But we're trying to take those steps to follow him, to look, to look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, to be conformed. The Bible language is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's who we want to be. And when we toss that stone in the pond and the ripples that go out from us, that's what we want people around us to see. This person looks more like Jesus today. We should walk through their lives and they should say, I don't know what it is about that person. They're a little weird. But there's something going on there that has to do with their connection with God that is making them different. It's making them powerful in their impact on other people. We don't want to give mixed warnings off. Ross and Catherine Petrus wrote a book. The title of it was 776 Stupidest Things Ever Said. I think I could add to their list. But here's one of the things that was in their book. It was a sign near our railroad station. It said this. Beware. To touch these wires is instant death. 
Anyone found doing so will be prosecuted. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's all kinds of warning signs out there, and some are better than others. But Jesus here warns us about our effect on other people and the need for us to be radically disassociated from sin. Because, because otherwise, like that little boy on that rubber raft ride, you will get wet. Pray with me. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and your word. We thank you for the ways in which you have blessed us. We ask today that you would make us mindful of our need to throw ourselves on your, into your grace and your mercy and your love to make us realize that we are people of influence, but we want our influence to be a mirror that reflects your influence in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen.